Hello there, my friends, and welcome to Tangents Abound. My name is Aaron Henley, and I thank you all for joining me on the third episode of the show. And the fact that I made it to episode three is nothing short of a minor miracle. Well, I'd love to say I have some feedback for the show, but because of recording and the wibbly-wobbly timey-wimeyness of podcasting, I don't have any feedback right now. <laughs> The reason I had feedback for the first episode was I really didn't know how to post, so when I posted it, I thought, oh, I should take it down, but then I'm like, no, we'll just see what it goes. So I don't have any feedback for episode two yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Also, I did some digging, as I promised, as to whether or not Superman, Lois, and Clark would be available as a trade. And the good news is, yes, it is. As of this recording, it's now available. In fact, as of episode two, it was available, but because of the wibbly-wobbliness, timey-wimeyness of podcasting, you won't know that until this episode, so I apologize. Now, I highly recommend picking up the story, but I recommend doing what I do. And that's going to Amazon. And I don't just go to Amazon. I go to twotruefreaks.com and click the Amazon link there. Because, you know, when I buy something from Amazon, a small portion of my purchase goes to help their site out, cover their costs. It doesn't cost me anything extra. I do it all the time. And since they've been such a great help to me and good friends to me, I always want to pay back my friends. So insert free plug for Two True Freaks, but I'm not affiliated with them, but they really are great people, and you should also check out their shows. It's just a fun time and a fun group of people to be around. Okay, so since I have no, well, no feedback, as I mentioned, we're going to dig right in to Superman, Lois and Clark, Issue 2, Arrival Part 2, or Face to Face with Intergang. Okay, so the issue was released on November 25th, 2015, with a cover date of January 2016. Now, the cover is a nice cover, and we only have one cover for this issue, at least that I'm aware of, because, again, all my comics are through the Comixology digital app, so whatever covers they put on it, that's the ones I assume are all of them, because they're usually really good at putting the variant covers on. So, the cover itself, we have Lois and John in the foreground. Lois is brandishing a gun and John a tire iron. In the background, we see Clark in his black costume, doing his best Samson impression, pushing between two trees. And I kind of like how on his belt with the shadowing, it looks like he has a little mini S on it, which which is pretty cool. (laughs) About the only criticism I have is John's face looks a little wonky. It's like he's doing a, hey... You know, and his lips are a little out of proportion, and his face just looks all scrunched up. It, it, it's kind of, I almost want to say Chucky-ish, maybe, if you if can picture it. But it's just a little wonky, but again, I'm not an art critic, so who am I to judge? Lois looks great, and that's all I have to say about that on a family-friendly podcast. <clears throat> so, let's get into the issue. The credits for this issue are Dan Jurgens, writer. Lee Weeks, penciler, Scott Hanna, inker, Brad Anderson, colorist, Andrew Marina, assistant editor, Eddie Berganza, editor, and Superman, created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And I apologize for not mentioning that in the last episode, but if anyone's familiar with Superman, most people are familiar with who wrote and created him. So, the issue starts six years ago on the White Farm, and by Whites, I mean Kent's. Lois is busy writing a Pulitzer Prize-winning article on a flower show for the Valley News, while John tries to mow the family carpet. Yes, mow the family carpet, and I'll explain. 
A knock comes from the door, and we meet the landlord, Shell Montgomery, whom I suspect may be a cousin to Dum Dum Dugan or the DC New 52 doppelganger of Dum Dum because all he's missing is the bowler hat. He loves just how much the Whites have fixed up the house and made it into a real home. He's actually amazed at just how much work and how fast things have been done to fix up the old place. And Lois replies that Clark is simply an amazing worker. Well, the reason for Shell's visit is that he wanted to ask Clark's help in fixing a fence. And Lois apologizes and says that Clark had to run into town to pick up some parts. She means he was half a continent away doing a job that only a superman could do. For Lois tells us that Clark tries to avoid daylight and large populations in his undercover superheroing, but he either had to get involved in this situation or watch Chicago die. And for Clark Kent, there is no option. Earthquakes are shaking the city to the core because, hey, we all know just how geologically unstable Chicago is. I mean, isn't it just like one more earthquake away from sinking completely into the center of the earth? Well, Clark immediately knows that these are artificially generated. Again, because he is an intelligent man, people, not just a bruiser. And he finds the DC Universe equivalent of the Shocker. Shockwave. Now, to be fair to Shockwave, he is just as lame as the Marvel version. <laughs> Realizing that Shockwave is simply a man in a power suit, Clark grabs him and flies him high into the air and strips the power suit off him piece by piece and lets him fall, cushioning his landing onto a nearby rooftop. Well, he leaves the not-playboy-billionaire philanthropist on the roof for the police to pick up. Clark hovers in midair for a moment to catch his breath. Unfortunately, the United States Air Force orders an approaching F-22 to fire a missile at Clark. With a quick burst of heat vision, Clark destroys the missile and outruns the F-22. And you know, I'm really starting to feel bad for Lockheed Martin right now, by the way. <laughs> Returning home, Clark hides Shockwave's armor in the barn until he can find a better storage solution. Giving Lois a quick peck on the cheek and embracing his toddler son, Clark begins to have a relaxing evening at home. Oh, this is a nice little intro. This is everything I want in the story. Because as much as I'm interested in the present... I love finding more about Lois and Clark and toddler John and kid John growing up because I love the characters more than anything in a story. If a story doesn't have good characters, it could have the most amazing plot, but the characters are, to me, what gives it life. Now, in case you were wondering what I meant by John mowing the carpet, he's got one of those little toddler push carts and he's going like we all did when we were that age. And now to be fair, I'm pretty sure I had that exact same cart at his age. And the only thing he's missing that I had was the little uh, push thing. It had a, with a round, like a half circle spear with little uh, marbles in it. And as you roll it, the wheels would pop up and pop the marbles up and you go, hee <laughs> Yeah. Well, there went any uh, hope of me ever having a girlfriend. Anyhow. We also have a nice little Easter egg in the first panel, as the address for the White's home is 1938. That's a nice little, nice little treat. And we know, and Lois knows, that she is a much more capable writer than what she's doing right now. But 
she puts her family's needs ahead of her career and in my opinion I like to think that any parent would do the same because as great as it is to have a Pulitzer they don't pay the rent or keep food on the table unless there's a cash prize associated with those two in that case I retract my previous statement <clears throat> and Shell Montgomery oh he is just so sweet and I swear, he is either a clone of Dum Dum, or he could be Jimmy Olsen's great uncle. And I really like him, and Lois likes him too, because when she has to lie for Clark and where he really is, she feels guilty about it. Now, on page four, we get another beautiful one-page splash of Clark lifting a tectonic plate. We have the brilliant reds and deep blacks from uh, page one of the last issue, making a full return only in this one page it's clark bent down just kneeling pushing with all his might this giant uh rock face oh it is just another beautiful illustration of just how much power this man has and it's it's just another great illustration i love it in fact it also leads me to another question as to whether or not clark still has the bio aura that john byrne introduced in post-crisis Superman history, where we see some of Clark's clothes ripped up, like his shirt, but his undershirt um, and th boots and things aren't all torn up. And I think that, you know, being that deep underground, there should be at least smoldering, but then again, comic books. So that's an answer to everything. I also enjoy that Shockwave is a lousy villain, and he's supposed to be. But through him, we see a great little contrast between Lois and Clark. Lois' narration says that when Shockwave was plummeting after being stripped of his armor, she would have just let him drop to the pavement. And I can understand her point of view, because in his assault on the city, who knows how many people he killed with that stunt. But not Clark. He may put out the fire, but he still believes in the justice system and not being judge, jury, or executioner. And now he's stuck with a problem, though. Where is he going to put these pieces of power armor? Hmm. It's almost like he would need a structure, like maybe a castle or a fortress where he could be by himself, you know, alone, almost in solitude, maybe. Hmm. That's a pretty good idea. Also, I really don't like the distrust in the New 52 universe. I mean, I get why it was done that way to make it more realistic, but... When I read a comic book, I don't want the real world. I want escapism. I want to have hope in the future when I read fiction. So I'm of the opinion that when a guy with a big red S on his chest walks into the room, everyone immediately stops, listens to that guy, and does whatever he tells them to. There's the trust and hope. And I just, I don't like the, the distrust that we see. Now, on page 8, the final panel, the scene with the Kents together, it's, it's just heartwarming, folks. Uh, it's Clark in the kitchen with Lois. Lois is leaning on his shoulder. Clark's holding John one-armed and just smiling down at him. There's a sunset in the background. It's just a beautiful little picture. This could have easily have been a one-page splash, and if it was and was a poster, I would buy it because it's just that nice a little family scene. Okay, so let's get to part two. So hopping in the DeLorean and hitting 88 miles per hour, Great Scott! we travel back to the present to the Excalibur crash site 
in the unknown jungle area. And tangent amount, I was really hoping that was going to be named, but it wasn't, so what can we do? Tangent over. The military begins search and rescue operations when a mysterious federal agent named Mr. Chambers arrives on the scene. The military discovers the shuttle is empty, with no sign of the crew anywhere, yet there are signs that someone was aboard. The military and NASA believe that the ship came in under autopilot. Mr. Chambers has a different theory, that someone helped it, and he has the proof to back it up. A satellite image of a man-shaped figure is seen maneuvering the shuttle. Mr. Chambers decides to add this event to his growing list of unexplained mysteries. Traveling to Lancaster Elementary, John is outside the principal's office being teased by his classmates. Being pushed a little too far, John is stopped from punching a bully by his mother. And everyone knows just how much trouble he's in because Lois used his full name, middle name included. Yeah, I don't need to go further on that, do I, friends? The principal sends him home and I think makes a little snarky remark to Lois about how her name doesn't appear in the Valley News anymore. Lois says she's been too busy taking care of the farm. Walking out, John whispers to Lois that he sees her writing all the time, and Lois quickly shushes him, and they leave the school. Now, I know this part, too, was kind of a short little part, but that's because the bulk of the issue happens in the third act. Now, what I enjoyed in this part was we really get a sense of scale for the Excalibur. This is a large ship. There's a large transport helicopter, you know, the with the oblong one with the two blades at the top, and it's just sitting right around the nose, and it's barely the width of the shuttle. So I'd say the shuttle is easily 150 feet long or more. It's It's huge. And, you know, in space, you can use all areas of the shuttle because, you know, you can go up, down, left, right, wherever. So there really is a lot of space to be used in this ship, and it's, it's a really great design. Now, who is Mr. Chambers? I don't know. Is he CIA? NSA? DEO? I don't know. But whoever he is, as in his typical mysterious federal agent fashion, he outranks everyone there. Now, here's a question. What happened to the crew? Henshaw arrives completely alone. So what happened out by Jupiter? More people went out. What happened? I don't know. And I'm interested to find out. Now, I first thought that the satellite image we see that from Mr. Chambers' tablet was the same one from the first issue that John saw in the newscast. But to be honest, John's ver version was barely a blip, kind of like a shooting star size. Well, Mr. Chambers has, you know, super high-tech satellites, and he was able to get up close and personal, and you can really tell that there's a silhouette of a man next to that burning shuttle. Now, John is first thought by his bully friends to have broken a window. John says that he didn't mean to hit the ball that hard, and, you know, it was just an accident the first time. Hmm. Well, you know, every, every kid breaks a window with a baseball once in a while. I mean, hey, that's how the kids in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids actually survived getting zapped by their dad's invention. So, you know, baseballs and windows, while I don't approve, can be useful. Now, also, we see one of the students has a Batman logo t-shirt. So, again, I'm not familiar with the New 52 continu continuity, 
but I'm guessing he's not an urban legend anymore, that he's publicly known as he had been in the past before Zero Hour. And again, I ha have, have, I have trouble understanding sarcasm. I really do. It's, it's a personal issue. So I have trouble discerning if Principal Dubois is being snippy at Lois about not working at the Valley News anymore. And if she is, I don't understand it. And I apologize. So if she is, or if you think she is, please send me some feedback. And again, feedback for the show can be sent to tangentsabound at gmail.com. Also, we see how sharp John is. He's observant. He's paying attention when he's not paying attention. He notices that his mom's writing all the time, but he knows that nothing's getting published, but he is his parents' son. And I love this. I really love this kid so much. And I, I'm i going to sound like a broken record for this whole show, folks, because, well, like I said, it's a positive and passionate place to geek out, and I'm geeking out about this comic. And like I said, I know this part is a little short, but just wait. The best is yet to come, and I promise you that. But before I do that, I'm going to plug a promo for a great show that I think you all should listen to. Greetings, podcast listener. Do you like... Gotcha, Mom. Or maybe... Dragon Flame! How about... Tatsuo! Ganido! Or... In the year 1999, an abandoned alien battle fortress crash-landed on the planet Earth. Our most brilliant scientist and engineer spent the next 10 years reconstructing the damaged ship and studying its highly advanced space technology called Robotech. Do you remember... Our Star Blazers! Or this... The year is after Colony 195. As the world constantly changes in the chaotic era, there are two mobile suits that could turn humans into the ultimate weapon. The Wing Zero and the Epion. Or maybe even this. After the desire for blood pools all, the only hope left is the one they call D. Or this. Gene, grappler ships dead ahead! It wouldn't be fun otherwise. Let's do it! Or... If Cardus is allowed to be reborn, she'll destroy Marmo as well as Lodos. Or have you seen the latest episode of... And just like that, everything changed. At that terrible moment, in our hearts, we knew home was a pen. Humanity, cattle. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out Anime Freaks, hosted by Dr. Bill Robinson and me, Gene Hendricks. Anime Freaks is a monthly podcast covering all things anime. It is available at 2TrueFreaks.com and on iTunes under 2 True Freaks Presents Anime Freaks. Okay, so let's get into it. On their way home, Lois and John are run off the road by the mysterious figure from the last issue. Crashing into a nearby meadow, the front passenger side door is open. Two thugs approach the car. The one approaching Lois takes a car door to the face, and Lois desperately calls Clark yelling, Protocol Omega! Clark! Picking up the unconscious thug's gun, 
Lois hears a groan and immediately runs to the rear of the car to check on John. John is standing over the second unconscious thug holding a tire iron. She and I both wonder how he got there so quickly. Hmm. Maybe... Hmm. Nah. Running into the nearby forest, John asks why they're being chased and what exactly Protocol Omega is. Lois tells him to run and to keep running and that his father would find him. More thugs arrive with enough weapons to fight a small war. One of the thugs stays behind to check Lois's car license plate to see if he can't get more information on her. A hand shoves his face into the back door of his van. And one by one, in a way that would make either the Predator or Batman smile, the approaching thugs are taken out. Clark meets up with Lois and tells John that there have been roadside muggers lately, and Lois agrees with him. John goes, wait, muggers with machine guns and rocket launchers? He also notices that Clark's car doesn't have any tire tracks through the thick grass. Seeing his wife and son safely away, Clark proceeds to clean up the scene and remove any trace of evidence of his family from the thugs and he leaves them for the police. That night in the barn, Clark assures Lois that while Intergang followed her after meeting Cora, they were unaware of exactly who she was and they just decided to do a scorched earth for good measure. So reassured that they won't have to give up their lives and run, Lois asks about what happened to the Excalibur. Clark says the ship was empty and doesn't know what to think. Meanwhile, from his second-story bedroom window, a good, I'd say, 50 feet from his parents, John listens in to their conversation. Huh, how do you do that? It's almost as if... Nah, I don't think so. Back at the Excalibur, Mr. Chambers is shown the shuttle's in-flight camera, clearly showing Henshaw at the controls. But now Chambers wonders just where is he? We next see a laboratory monitoring an unconscious Henshaw on a lab table. And finally, on the last page, light years away, a cooned warrior is being tortured for information. Refusing to talk, he is killed by Space Xena. One of her servants arrives and informs her that the Oblivion Stone was in the warrior's possession and that one of his ships had escaped to the Soul System, i.e. Earth. Okay, like I said, a lot happens in this issue. There's a ton. One of the best little lines here is Lois's comment to John as they're driving home that if she had a smartphone at John's age, she probably would have done the exact same thing he did. And he goes, really? And she goes, yep. And that is just an absolutely priceless moment. It's a great bonding moment between mother and son. And I also feel bad for the time when cell phones become so commonplace that, you know, if we have a Lois backstory, when as a little kid, she'll have a smartphone and kind of ruin this scene a little bit. But, but I love it so much right now. And when they're attacked and run off the road, the look the look of fear on Lois is amazing. It's really great. We know she has seen her share of scraps before, but this time it's different. It's not her, and it's not Jimmy in trouble. It's her son. And anyone knows that no mama bear would allow anyone to hurt her cub, and this is an entirely new situation to the usual Lois in danger setup, and it's great. Well, not great, but great drama. Um, you, you know what I mean, right, friends? <laughs>
So here's another question I have. How did John get out of the car, reach and open the trunk, get the tire iron, and beam the thug behind him? I mean, it's not like he has super speed or anything, right folks? <laughs> no, that'd be silly. The faceplant thug also has no idea how lucky he is that he just ended up with a concussion and some broken teeth. He could have easily have been pushed through that van door and what remains of his pulp could have ended up as a greasy smear on Clark's fist. I love that line so much, by the way. <laughs> and if you get the reference, kudos. So, we next see Clark taking out all the thugs, and it's just great. He pulls them into the sky, he drags them underground, which I think has to be absolutely terrifying than just being picked up, because you have the roots and rocks hitting you as you're being drugged through the ground, so that, that, that's got to be more scary, I would think. And then he just, you know, flat out knocks a few of them out. It, it's just great. It, he is doing a great job of even holding back because this is his family. He's doing his best to not kill these guys right now. And also, tangent about, see Batman v versus Superman? Superman can stop not just one armed thug from shooting his loved ones, but multiple armed thugs from shooting his loved ones without smashing them through six concrete walls and turning them into a bloody pulp. Tangent over. Again, John is a smart kid. He, we see that he's like, well, wait a second. These roadside muggers are way too e well equipped for what's going on. There's no tire tracks. How did this? How did your car get here, Dad? It, it's just great. Also, I'm pretty sure that Clark is a hardcore CSI watcher because the way he cleans up the crime scene implies he's not only watched every episode, he's watched CSI, CSI Miami, CSI New York, and pretty much, and I'm sure all the NCIS shows as well. So, good on you, Clark. You and I have the same taste in TV. Also, in the barn, I never really noticed this, but there's a really nice shot of Lois, and what she's wearing is an orange blazer, and I'm pretty sure that she just stole Mari McFly's blazer. <laughs> so, here's another question, friends. How did John hear his parents from so far away and above them? <laughs> I mean, it, it's not like he has super hearing or anything, right? I mean, that, that's just crazy talk. <laughs> also, there's a lot of mysterious stuff in this story. We have mysterious figures, mysterious laboratories, mysterious objects that apparently can cause mass destruction. And we also see that Space Xena really likes to kill people who get on her nerves. And also apparently stole Clark's glowing red eyes, because when she's mad, she has the glowing red eyes. Or is it just that DC really loves characters with glowing red eyes? At least this situation called for it. The Supergirl cover, not so much. I mean, she's just flying. There was no need for the glowing red eyes. And I, I know I'm harping on that, but that cover was just so beautiful. And I hate the wasting of the glowing red eyes, because... Again, like Michael Barry, if you see the glowing red eyes from Superman, you should immediately need a new pair of pants. Because something went very, very wrong. So, what are my final thoughts on this issue? Well, this was a great second issue. As I mentioned before, the first th third devoted to the Kent's early years is what I wanted in the story. I loved finding out what they've been up to since arriving on New 52 Earth. And we see that each is staying true to themselves. Lois is still wor working as a reporter, albeit in a much more limited capacity. And Clark is being Superman. 
he's helping people. The fact that he was even willing to risk public exposure to save an entire city shows who this man is at his core. And again, tangent abound, something BVS did not get. Tangent over. Well, also in having Superman hover a bunch of over a bunch of people while their house was flooding and, you know, probably eroding under them and just debating whether or not to save them. I'm sorry. No, Clark would immediately swoop in, get the people, put them on high ground, and then hover over them for a minute. <clears throat> Comic book panels do not translate to live action all that well in some cases. Now the tangent's over. Okay, and John Kent, he is probably the most rambunctious eight-year-old, but he's also one of the coolest eight-year-olds I ever read. If I went to school with him as a kid, I'd want to be his best bud. I'd want to, I'd want to be John's, John Kent's pal, Aaron Henley, which doesn't have nearly the ring as Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen does it. <laughs> now, here's a question for John. Where did he learn how to knock a guy unconscious with a tire iron? I mean, I, I can't see that being on the regular school curriculum. Well, unless it's the school run by Batman, and... Well, that begs the question, how Dick Grayson and Tim Drake managed to stay sane. <laughs> That's a minor miracle in itself, isn't it, friends? <laughs> and again, we come to the theme of family coming first. And I love how that's just one of the main themes of this story. And it's what grabbed me and kept me hooked through this. Now, I can't say enough about this. And to be fair, I don't have nearly as much to talk about with this issue as I did the first issue. Because as cool as all the action is and the home life, it, it is a fast read. I mean, I I probably blitzed through this in about 10, 15 minutes. But I still enjoyed it. I still love it. And I'm looking forward to the next issue even more because then we start dealing with some really heavy stuff. Because, well, what? Because I just realized, hey, Clark said he doesn't know what happened to Henshaw. Hmm. I wonder if that may come back as a future plot point. Hmm. Well, the only way to find out is to tune in next time to Tangents Abound Episode 4, Superman, Lois and Clark, Arrival, Part 3, Blank. Yeah, that's really the name of the stinger. It's, it's Blank, not Blank. It's B-L-A-N-Q-E-E. -E. Blank is in French. Trust me, it, it'll make sense when we get there. So thank you again, my friends, for joining me. And I hope to have some feedback for the next episode. So feedback and comments, criticisms can be left at tangentsabound at gmail.com. If you click the show's heading uh, on the Libsyn page, it'll load up a comment section. I actually had to play around to see how to get a comment on there, but if you click the, the specific episode title, it will bring up a comic screen. So excuse me, comments screen, so you can leave some feedback there. Or you can go to iTunes and leave me a review. And I, I can't believe I'm on iTunes. That's, that's actually kind of a minor miracle for me. So if you have friends, let them know about the show. If you like it, let me know. If you hate it, let me know. But my goal is to have a great time doing this, and I am, and I hope you have a great time listening. So thank you again, my friends. And I wish you a good morning, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, 
good evening, and good night. Tangents Abound is a free podcast. No money is made on the production or distribution of this podcast. Any and all audio clips used in this podcast are for education and review purposes only. No copyright infringement is intended, and all copyrights are owned by the respective copyright holders. Thank you.